Happy Hobbit Day, everybody! Welcome to Hobbit Day 2019. And of course, as has been traditional now, uh, the beginning of our annual fall fundraiser. This is, in fact, our seventh annual fall fundraiser, uh, which is really great. You know, I <clears throat> throughout the year, I really love our community. Uh, and I love... My favorite thing about the fall fundraiser is the way that it prompt us to kind of stop for a minute and uh, you know because it's easy to get kind of you know, we get so dry i know i get so drawn into like the week by week schedule of things and you know whether it's our uh whether it's classes for those of you who are taking uh our ma courses with us right and we're going through from week to week and semester to semester whether uh it's uh in our public broadcasts that you're involved and you're you know you're walking with me through uh one of my several different um um, several different, uh, uh, you know, broadcasts through the week, uh, right. As we're walking usually slowly, uh, through the Lord of the Rings or through the Silmarillion material and Silm film, right. Or exploring Lotro with Grifflet or, uh, you know, Mythgard Academy and going from, as we've been marching our way through, uh, the history of Middle Earth, plus, uh, other wonderful books interspersed along the way. You know, it's really easy to get, you know, sort of next discussion, the next chapter, uh, and then just, you know, the, or the next paragraph or the next sentence. Uh, and you just, you know, kind of keep going and keep moving. It's really great, uh, however, to pause once a year and kind of step back and look at the big picture and appreciate this uh, wonderful community that, uh, that we have. Um, and I find it really appropriate uh to always begin doing that on bilbo and frodo's birthday uh you know i think about bilbo's birthday gathering right uh and sort of what that meant on the one hand of course you know unlike throwing a big you know for hobbits throwing a big birthday party is different right than for us throwing a big birthday party for us if we throw a big birthday party you know i've uh, i've been to birthday parties for my sons where they were calculating the number of guests based upon how many presents they hoped to receive right uh and that of course adds an entirely different dynamic to the whole thing right um but uh you know with bilbo of course it was you know a chance to a chance to celebrate uh you know and you think about his speech and how he's looking back on you know the life that he has had with them and and uh you know his adventures and the life since his adventures and uh, the adventure, of course, the, the next adventure that he's looking forward to. Um, and anyway, as I say, I definitely uh, really love to sort of step back and think a little bit about, you know, the things that we do together in this community that we've built together and to really appreciate the role that you guys have played uh, in all of this. So, you know, I mean, think about the weekly broadcasts that I'm doing, right? I've been reflecting on this a little bit over the last couple of weeks in one or two of my broadcasts. You know, I, I'm now been engaged uh, in four long-term projects for quite a while now, right? Um, uh, I remember when I first started Riddles in the Dark, that was my first ever really long-term uh thing really long-term show i mean not just like my podcast as a whole but like one particular endeavor uh and it was you know as a commitment to three years we were going to be thinking through the hobbit and adaptation of the hobbit of course in conjunction with the peter jackson films uh as they were going to be released over the course of three years so that was a three-year commitment uh when i started doing that um and you know in context now that seems really 
hilarious, actually. Uh, as you know, I've been doing, we've been doing Mythgard Academy now almost every week for six years. We're celebrating the sixth year anniversary of the Signum Academy here. Uh, like, you know, basically, I think the very first one, the Fellowship of the Ring, when I did the Fellowship of the Ring in the Mythgard Academy was, I believe, late summer uh, of 2013. Um, so it's been six full years we've been doing the Mythgard Academy. Uh, Silm Film has been going on for, I think, five years. We're coming to the end of season four, but it's not been even uh, uh, exactly a season per year. Um, I think it's going on five years that uh, Silm Film has been happening. I've been doing my Grifflet stream now for fully four years. In fact, we just passed the four-year anniversary a couple weeks back. Uh, and, of course, exploring the Lord of the Rings. You know, the new little one uh, I've been doing now, we're in the third year for that. We're about, what, two and three quarters uh, of, uh, of a year through that. Um, and, of course, all of them, none of them are projected to end pretty much ever, right? I mean, all four of them are, like, completely open-ended. Um, and, you know, there's been, for me, there's certainly been no diminishment of my enjoyment in any one of those projects as we've been going through week by week and year by year and, and no flagging of enthusiasm in the community. Uh, you know, it just to me, that's just kind of a little taste of, of you know, the larger... Uh, the larger community that we have built through Signum University. And, uh, you know, we've built together, we all have built something really remarkable together. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is really only the beginning of things. So I want to be thinking uh, for a little bit, I'm, I want to I share with you uh, a reading and then I'm going to have a couple other people share uh, a couple other uh, wonderful readings as well. And then we'll have, you know, just sort of a little bit of, uh, of discussion for me what I want to do with my reading is mostly uh, kind of applicability, just sort of share with you. This has been a passage that's been very much on my mind and on my heart over the last six months, especially. Um, uh, and I wanted to, um, um, I wanted to, uh, uh, to so, so that's why I kind of want to share that with you. And we'll, we'll uh, kind of talk about things with, uh, with with my other two guests later on um i have two we have uh, two distinguished signum alumni actually who are going to be doing readings later on um but um let me first talk about our fundraising campaign because you know our fundraising campaign um just signum's fundraising history is itself such a perfect testimony uh to the wonderful community that we have at Signum University. I was just recently, again, up in Con up in Concord, the state capital of New Hampshire, uh, visiting with legislators and uh, uh, and folks at the uh, from the Department of Education. I've done that fairly regularly over the course of this past year, and you know, I get I'm just sort of reflecting again. You know, they and by they I mean people who are used to normally dealing with higher education, uh, they just they have no idea. They have no idea the kind of community that we have at Signum. Um, the idea of beginning a university from scratch and having it essentially be crowdfunded, um, made up with uh, small but faithful donations from a wide group of people, this is not normal. This is not the normal pattern. This is not how, you know, higher education administrators are used to thinking. This is, this is not the kind of entity uh, that lawmakers are used to dealing with. Um, uh, 
I just had was having a discussion with a couple of the Congress people who kept coming back to, um, you know, the steps that Signum would have to go through in order to qualify for Title IV funding. Title IV funding, of course, in America means uh, the federal student loan programs, right? So that we could collect federal money through the federal student loan programs, um, and I and I, I I had to say I had to say a couple times no we're we're not that's not us we're not doing that see they assume they assume that um everybody you know like that's the whole point right the whole point of establishing a university is to be able to collect title four money from the government you know student loan money um that that's obviously our end goal right uh and i was uh and i said you know no no that's not we have no plans to do that in fact we have active plans not ever to do that um and uh, and you could see there was just puzzlement you know, there was just like, what, what? What's the plan? Then, <laughs> if that's not the plan, what is the plan? Uh, and and I get they just like there's so many ways in which you know Signum is setting out to be delightfully different, and this is one of them. You know, the fact that at the at the core of our existence to this point, at the core of our you know the sort of the financial stability that we have built over the years, uh, is just the enthusiasm of our community who loves what we do and who believes in what we do. That is what our plan is instead, right? Instead of uh, uh, using horrible federal funding. Um, anyway, so as I say, I've been uh, just recently uh, reflecting on this a lot and really appreciative uh, about that. Let me show you a little bit about what happened this past year. So you may remember last year in our fundraising campaign last year, um, I said that I wanted to raise $60,000 for the annual fund. That was the goal for last year. We came in like just under $60,000 the year before. We were like 59700 or something like that uh, for the previous year. So I was like, okay, last year I was like, okay, this year, let's do it. We can raise $60,000. So that was, uh, that was our goal, our annual fund goal for, for last year. Now I should explain that we call it, of course, the annual fund. Uh, because it's this is this is sort of our general fund. This is the uh, the fund that we are able to use most flexibly to be able to uh, to um, you know to take care of a number of our, uh, of our of, you know any of any number of our different expenses and stuff. It is a, it's a super super important fund that really has kept the lights on at Signum for a long time. Of course, it's called the annual fund because it's not just a campaign fund, right? We're you know I do the fall fundraising campaign in the fall. Right, I do this period of several weeks in which we talk about Signum's financial needs, and I tell you a little bit about Signum's plans and what we're building, and uh, and you know I, I I ask you for month you know to 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 think about donating to Signum stuff, or I ask you for for money um, because. I don't want to be doing that all year round, but of course we need money all year round. Uh, and uh, do donations that are given at any time during the year all count towards the annual fund. So I certainly don't want people to feel like, you know, especially if you're watching this later or something and you're like, oh man, I missed the campaign. It's too late. Of course, it's never too late to donate to Signum University. Um, but um, anyway, so our annual fund goal last year was $60,000, a plateau we'd never quite hit in any of our fundraising campaigns before. And our actual giving at the end of the year was $70,661. We, 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 we exceeded it by $10,000, more than a 15% overage uh, over our initial goal last year. It was absolutely 
wonderful. We had such a wonderful uh, year last year uh, in uh, in the uh, in the annual fund. Um, it was a, it was a banner year for Signum all round. Actually, we had uh, uh, a really strong budgetary year. Our events did really well. Um, our donations were were really strong. Uh, the 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 community really rallied around Signum this past year and and put us in uh, a stronger place than we've been. We're not used to running any kind of a surplus at Signum. That's what happens when you're a nonprofit and a real nonprofit. See, I shouldn't use a pejorative distinction like that. Um, but there are a lot of places that I could ma name, though I won't, uh, who are technically nonprofits, but you know they're big money and they're using big government money and their administrators are making big bucks and. Um, that's never what Signum has been about. Signum has always been about trying to uh, be as cost effective as we can for everybody to try to do everything we do to keep costs low, to keep the cost of our events low, to keep the cost of our tuition, of course, primarily as low as we can possibly make it. Um, and, uh, you know, just try to do as much good as we can with all of the resources that we have. Um, and anyway, so having a, having a surplus was, uh, uh, really wonderful and has enabled us uh, to be in a really strong position for this coming year, stronger than we've been uh, really ever in the history of Signum. That was, uh, uh, that was, um, that was, that was really cool. Yeah. Brandon, exactly. Brandon says, you know, the, the NFL, the national football league in America is still technically a nonprofit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there, there are some places that are, you know, that, that are, that are organized officially as a nonprofit, but you know, it's not, in fact, about, uh, uh, you know, which are still primarily, in fact, about making money. Uh, that's, uh, that isn't us. Um, anyway, so the thing I want to emphasize, especially today, though, of course, as I invite you guys to, uh, uh, to, 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 to donate uh, and support Signum University again this year, I want to spotlight today in particular the wonderful and very thoughtful generosity of our monthly donors. We have a large number of people uh, who give on a monthly basis uh, to Signum University. And that has been such a blessing to us. I remember back in the old days uh, when the only income we had was our semesterly tuition. And boy, is it hard to run a startup business when you're getting like a chunk of money three times a year and you have to kind of make it work for the like four months in between when you're earning no money at all. Uh, and you're, you know, and you're still in your first couple years of operations. And so like new expenses you didn't anticipate are popping up and you're like, Oh, um, okay. Tuition comes in again in two months. We'll see about that. Anyway, it was, it was a fun time. It was bracing. Um, but you know, the, 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 the steady income from monthly donations makes such a big difference. And, I, and there are so many people who have been able to make a huge difference for Signum. And I'm going to be talking about that in a little bit. Um, even if you're only giving a small amount per month, and I'll, I'll show you what that looks like, in fact. Here's uh, the monthly giving from this past year. So this is the, the this is the, the the total number of donors we had in these different categories. This is the uh, uh, the donations per month here on the on the left hand side, uh, and the the number of donors in each one of these categories, and the total donations uh, that we received from the people in those categories. Um, 
So you can see we have 108 people total who in this past year gave uh, gave monthly donations to Signum University. Uh, some of these, of course, were set up like partway through the year. So uh, as you'll see, we, we didn't necessarily get like 12, you know, months at the donation during the fiscal year of last year and everything. Um, but um, uh, but this is one of 108 people uh, giving on a monthly basis. And that has made such an amazing difference. You know, when I look back through, um, you know, I, I, I look down this list, right? And I, I, I do most of the budgeting uh, and budget review and stuff like that of Cigna myself. And so like when I look at these numbers, right, when I look at these numbers, uh, in my mind, I can immediately picture the things in our budget that, that, that these people have paid for, right? So I mean, like, let me give you an example. Um, one of the things that we really value at Signum University, one of the things that we want to, uh, to, one way in which we want our program, our academic program, to be different from other online programs is we want our students to know that they are part of a community, that, you know, they're not just, you know, sort of um, sitting on them, sitting by themselves in a computer in a, in a you know, in, in, in sort of space on their own, that they have colleagues and students. So one of the programs that we have uh, at, oh, so uh, Curtis, the far right column, that's total donations for the year in each one. Yeah. The, the column on the left is, is the amount per month. So that, that's sort of the categories that I broke it down into. Um, anyway, so uh, uh, one of the programs that we have at Signum are what we call our Signum Advisors, uh, where every incoming student is assigned an advisor who, you know, reaches out to them to have a phone call with them and explain, you know, answer any questions about how Signum works. Signum courses are a little bit different than some other courses and are our vocabulary is a little bit different, and so sometimes you know people need uh, help getting oriented to how things work, right? Um, so we've got, and they and they continue to you know to email them and call them and keep up with them. How are things going? How did your courses go last semester? Is there is there anything I can help with, or anybody I you know is there any of our resources I can I can connect you to? So we have you know a team of people whom. Uh, you know, who are assigned to you know all of our students individually, so that we can make sure that people have a, a point of contact, a point of human contact, uh, you know, from the beginning through to the end of their Signum program, uh, and our uh, our our donors there uh, at the fifteen to twenty five dollar level, right. Uh, this 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 number right here jumps out at me. That's almost exactly uh, what uh, we paid to our Signum advisors this past year. Uh, so if you donated between $15 and $25 uh, this past year, uh, then you helped to make that human community at Signum possible. You helped to support every one of our students uh, every semester as they went through as they went through our program. Another example, if you gave between $50 and $100 a month, there are only uh, eight people in this category, but for the eight of you who gave uh, so generously between $50 and $100 per month, somewhere in that range, um, that completely paid for our library resources subscribing to online journal databases uh is it costs a lot of money it used to be more than signum could afford to do uh those eight people the donations of those eight people uh paid for our, uh for our library subscriptions for the year basically that is uh is just awesome um uh if you take two of these so the people who everyone who donated all 39 people who donated between 10 and $15 a month uh, during this past year. 
you you guys paid for our entire our, our online classroom system. So the GoToWebinar system that I'm using right now with uh, uh, with our attendees here. This is the same thing we use for our classroom interface in smaller groups. We can have multiple video feeds and we open up the audio feeds for discussions and things like that. Um, we have multiple licenses of these so that we can have as many session, uh, different sessions running as we need to for all of our classrooms to happen. Um, and you guys paid for, for our licensing fees for all of our classrooms for the entire year. And there was some left over, which we could then combine with all of the money that uh, we earned from, our, uh, the, from the five very generous people who gave $100 or more a month. Um, and that enabled us to make all of our video and audio files available to everybody. Of course, you guys know, not only do we have the multiple different podcast feeds with all of those, uh, you know, my programs that I was talking about, but also um, people, you know, when we have our, uh, our anytime audits, when we have our, uh, our, our, our class lectures and things, we have to have a, we have to get hard drive space, right? Somebody else's hard drive space, not our hard drives. We don't have them. Uh, it would cost us much more to own them. Virtual hard drive space, right? Where we store all of our audio video files and so that we can, so that we can, you know, give them out most of them for free, right? In our public broadcasting and everything. Um, that is, um, that is definitely, uh, uh, you know, that's, it's a major part of our expenses. It's one of our biggest single lines, certainly of our, of our, of our costs, uh, outside of salary. That's our, that's, that's one of our biggest costs. Uh, and you guys, uh, paid for that, uh, this past year, you, you made it. So everyone who has listened to a podcast episode, everyone who has, uh, uh, who has downloaded course materials, uh, oh, the, you know, the, the experience they had to, 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 to those folks. Um, and that's just a few examples uh, of the kinds of things. You know, another way to think about this, um, we pay our faculty, like our preceptors, the, the, the faculty who are working with the, the groups of students in all of our synchronous classroom sessions for each one of our classes. Uh, on average, we paid our preceptors $3,857 per course. Uh, this past year. Uh, and so that's, so again, if you, you think about that, kind of breaking that down into, into, uh, uh, from some of these other different categories, right? The 25 to $50 a month people paid for almost two of our, uh, about one and a half, uh, of our, of our courses, to, you know, for the, uh, what we paid to our faculty for those courses. So it's, uh, just wonderful what you guys have been able uh, to enable us to do. And as you can see, the total for the year, just under $25,000 total. So more than a third uh, of all of the donations we received, we were receiving these monthly donations. Um, and as I say, that is just something and, you know, the faithfulness with which our monthly donors have continued to give month after month and year after year is something that has just really enabled us to, uh, uh, to, to not only keep the lights on, um, but really, uh, but really to thrive. Now, Noam asks, which would be better, a one large donation or breaking it in, into monthly donations? Uh, either is good. Like this, there's, there's, it's not that single donations are an inconvenience or anything like that. That is not at all true. And, and certainly we welcome donations in any form. The primary thing that I would say is, 
Um, it is certainly true that monthly donations are helpful. The primary thing that I would say, though, is that the monthly donate, it's it's a really good way to kind of budget yourself and, and, and challenge yourself, right? I mean, if you look at just the left-hand column, right, these are not large numbers, right? And you think about what this adds up to on the right-hand side, right? Uh, but this is, if you're giving, you know, $15 a month, you know, say you're giving $25 a month, right? So say you can get your, you, you, you set up a donation to give $25 a month. Well, you know, that adds up pretty quickly, right? I mean, that's $300 for the year. For many of us, I know it's kind of hard just to toss off a check for 300 bucks, right? Um, but 25 bucks a month is not so bad. Uh, and it's, it's much easier to be able to, to kind of, uh, enable your uh your gift uh to signum to accumulate over the year that way um but um so yeah i mean noam i would say i know that there are many people who do like to who do prefer to give in the uh, the one single donation um and that's um uh uh that's fine you know that's that's there's abs you know that's a wonderful way to give as well and I, and if if that's the way you prefer that's totally fine i'm not trying to uh, persuade anybody to shift over to monthly giving necessarily if, if the single gift is the way that you prefer. But especially if you're feeling like, well, you know, I don't know how much of a difference I can really afford to make at Signum University. Just know uh, that there's a big contribution that's being made even by people who are only giving a very modest amount per month. Um, and uh, it really does uh, add up to, to something really special uh, at the end of the day. I think that this is, and, and it certainly does uh, help us with planning, uh, as as uh, as you suggest, Curtis. It's uh, um, it is for, for just from a as from a cash flow point of view, right? For us to be able to be able to be planning things like our payroll and our regular expenses and things, knowing that we have you know a certain amount of of money that's regularly coming in every month uh, does make things uh, a lot easier. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so for instance, as we look towards, uh, this coming fiscal year for thinking of this current campaign and, and, uh, you know, moving forward into this year, you know, back in the old days, like 2013, 2014 in the first campaigns, right. We'd start off and I'd be like, okay, we're at zero and let's see how high we can get. We don't start at zero anymore because of our wonderful, uh, monthly donors. Um, now technically our fiscal year began on August 1st. So counting everything, all the donations that we have received, most of them, almost, I mean, like uh, 98% of them so far coming in uh, through our monthly donors, we have already received $32,262 in gifts and pledges uh, so far. That is counting the, the monthly donations as, a, as, as a, a, a pledge to continue at that pace. Even if everyone just continues at the pace that they are, that's thirty-two thousand two hundred and sixty-two dollars. As you see, that's higher than the significantly higher than the twenty-five thousand we received last year, because many of those monthly donors joined us in mid-year. You see, uh, so having them around for the whole year will uh, will bring in a total of thirty-two thousand two hundred and sixty-two dollars. So that's where we are as of today, right, for our annual fund already. So as I said, our goal was seventy thousand. We're already almost halfway there. Right. Thanks to our thanks to our monthly donors. 
And of course, as, as individual gifts come in, that number will start to rise. Let me show you one last, one last number thing. Um, and that's just a side-by-side -side comparison. The fiscal year 20 numbers are as of right now. The, 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 the people whose monthly donations are currently on the books and projecting those monthly donations forward through this coming fiscal year, um, what that would amount to. Just to, again, sort of show you how this breaks down and how this really begins to add up as we go through. You can see we've already had some increases even since last year uh, for on, uh, on, on many of these categories. Um, and I would, again, it would be, it would have a, a, an enormous impact uh, for Signum just to, 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 inc you know, to increase some of these lower numbers, right? For people who, you know, maybe you've been donating $10 a year and you might think about increasing that to $15 a year, right? $5 a month, not such a huge difference, right? But it, uh, um, you can see how, although we, had, we have 40 people projecting to bring in $5,200, only 24 people are projected to bring in more than that, right? Um, so again, it's the percentage increase gets very significant. All this stuff really adds up. And again, you, you, you would be surprised at the kind of impact that even these kinds of modest monthly donations uh, really, uh, really can have. Michelle, if you've done a previous monthly donation, it will continue. Um, and if you want to, if you wanted to increase, all you have to do, you can, you can arrange uh, to cancel. You can start a new one and then arrange to cancel the old one so that you don't have to have like two going at once or whatever. That can get confusing. So there's, there's uh, no need to do that. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely, you know, and there's, there's certainly room here on the upper end and everything as well. Like I said, I really, uh, I, I encourage you, to, I encourage you to think about it. You know, Signum University is, there's so much that we are planning to do. Um, you know, I, I, you know, from what I have seen and certainly what I personally have experienced, you know, Signum University has, has made a really big impact on people's lives so far. Uh, and there is much more that we're planning to do. I uh, look forward to telling you about that a little bit more later on in the campaign in my annual State of the University address. Um, but um, anyway, it's going to be, um, uh, it's going to be really exciting. Uh, and I am uh, uh, so glad to have you guys uh, along with me uh, for that. Um, <clears throat> let me use that actually as a transition uh, to the Tolkien passage I wanted to read with you guys today. It'll be a very familiar one. I didn't choose an obscure passage, but as I said, one that I keep coming back to in my own head for a couple different reasons, as I'll explain. Um, uh, first, let me show you uh, something that I'm going to be talking about a lot more in the State of the University address. Signum University has been growing a lot, uh, has been growing a lot in fact over the last couple of years, and has been growing even more in concept, especially over the, uh, over the last six months or so as we've been planning our next adventure. Um, Last year, you'll remember the theme of the campaign was on the doorstep, right? As we were really on the edge of, you know, I, I, as I was telling you guys last year, like we, we are on the edge of big things, right? Seen us somewhere. And uh, anyway, so many different, uh, different ways in which that was applicable last year. This year, we are 
passing through that door, right? And we as an institution are going out and we're inviting you all to come out the door with us and come on the adventure with us. Um, and uh, I'll tell you a little bit more, as I say, about exactly what that adventure is. But the, the, the image I keep coming back to is this image of the tree. Remember the tree that I did? I think it was two years ago. I introduced the little Signum tree graphic that we did with, um, you know, the different, the Mythgard branch, right? And the, um, and it was this little tree with like a little sticky uh, trunk and two little branches, right? Um, that was um, uh, that was a couple a couple years ago, um, and so here here it is on the left. Here's the 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 one that we did back in 2017. Um, here's the signum tree now, and as I said, I'm going to talk a lot more about that. The tree is maturing significantly, growing into a much more significant tree, uh, a much uh, larger tree with a broader canopy and a taller tree um, with whole new networks of branches. Um, I'm going to be, as I say, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you more about that, especially this one up here with the question marks uh, that in particular, I'll be talking about more uh, during uh, my state of the university address later on. But this for me is not, only you know a cute graphic this is not just a visualization right this is not just a this is not just a visual aid uh to try to help you picture how signum university is organized which is how it started right um for me this is um uh well by now i'm sure you've probably guessed the passage that i want to read to you because uh, the passage I want to read to you is the beginning of Leaf by Niggle. Well, a bit from the beginning and then a bit from the middle. Um, so I'm just going to read uh, my passage and then I'll, 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 I'll talk about it and some of the ways in which I, why this has really been so particularly on my, uh, on my heart over the last few months especially. There once was a little man called Niggle who had a long journey to make. He did not want to go. Indeed, the whole idea was distasteful to him, but he could not get out of it. He knew he would have to start sometime, but he did not hurry with his preparations. I'm sorry. Messed up my name. Okay. Niggle was a painter. Not a very successful one, partly because he had many other things to do. Most of these things he thought were a nuisance, but he did them fairly well when he could not get out of them, which, in his opinion, was far too often. The laws in his country were rather strict. There were other hindrances, too. For one thing, he was sometimes just idle and did nothing at all. For another, he was kind-hearted, in a way. You know the, the sort of kind heart. It made him uncomfortable more often than, than it made him do anything, and even when he did anything, it did not prevent him from grumbling, losing his temper, and swearing, mostly to himself. All the same, it did land him in a good many odd jobs for his neighbor, Mr. Parrish, a man with a lame leg. Occasionally... He even helped other people from further off, if they came and asked him to. Also, now and again, he remembered his journey, and began to pack a few things in an ineffectual way. At such times, he did not paint very much. He had a number of pictures at hand. On hand, sorry. Most of them were too large and ambitious for his skill. He, used to he was the sort of painter who can paint leaves better than trees. He used to spend a long time on a single leaf, trying to catch its shape and its sheen and the glistening of dewdrops on its edges. Yet he wanted to paint a whole tree with all of its leaves in the same style and all of them different. 
There was one picture in particular which bothered him. It had begun with a leaf caught in the wind, and it became a tree, and the tree grew, sending out innumerable branches and thrusting out the most fantastic roots. Strange birds came and settled on the twigs and had to be attended to. Then all round the tree and behind it, through the gaps in the leaves and boughs, a country began to open out, and there were glimpses of a forest marching over the land and of mountains tipped with snow. Niggle lost interest in his other pictures, or else he took them and tacked them onto the edges of his great picture. Soon the canvas became so large that he had to get a ladder, and he ran up and down it, putting in a touch here and rubbing out a patch there. When people came to call, he seemed polite enough, though he fiddled a little with the pencils on his desk. He listened to what they said, but underneath, he was thinking all the time about his big canvas in the tall shed that had been built for it out in his garden, on a plot where once he had grown potatoes. So that's the that's the, the first section. Now, of course, I want to read the second section when he meets the tree. So this is after he's been to the workhouse and he's been sent on to uh, uh, some, uh, 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 some, some easier treatment, right? Niggle pushed open the gate, jumped on the bicycle, and went bowling downhill in the spring sunshine. Before long, he found that the path on which he had started had disappeared, and the bicycle was rolling over a marvelous turf. It was green and close, and yet he could see every blade distinctly. He seemed to remember having seen or dreamed of that sweep of grass somewhere or other. The curves of the land were familiar somehow. Yes, the ground was becoming level, as it should, and now, of course, it was beginning to rise again. A great green shadow came between him and the sun. Niggle looked up and fell off his bicycle. Before him stood the tree, his tree, finished. If you can say that of a tree that was alive, its leaves opening, its branches growing and bending in the wind that Niggle had so often felt or guessed and had so often failed to catch. He gazed at the tree, and slowly he lifted his arms and opened them wide. It's a gift, he said. He was referring to his art, and also to the result, but he was using the word quite literally. He went on looking at the tree. All the leaves he had ever labored at were there, as he had imagined them rather than as he had made them, and there were others that had only budded in his mind, and many that might have budded, if only he had had time. Nothing was written on them, they were just exquisite leaves, yet they were dated as clear as a calendar. Some of the most beautiful, and the most characteristic, the most perfect examples of the Niggle style, were seen to have been produced in collaboration with Mr. Parrish. There was no other way of putting it. The birds were building in the tree, astonishing birds, how they sang. They were mating, hatching, growing wings, and flying away, singing into the forest, even while he looked at them. For now he saw that the forest was there too, opening out on either side and marching away into the distance. The mountains were glimmering far away. Okay, um, so there are several different reasons why I've been thinking of this passage a lot lately. One uh, is simply because, uh, you know, one in the, the sort of the least personal, but the, one of the things in my own uh, thoughts about Tolkien and discussions of Tolkien that I've been having over the last year, um, I've really been thinking a lot more about uh, Tolkien's writing process, right? And in particular, or perhaps a better way of saying that is um, I've really, I've been reflecting a lot more on all the things that I've learned about Tolkien's writing process, especially through the Mythgard Academy series, um, as we've been reading through the history of Middle-earth together. 
and in particular the kind of immersion we did we had been doing into Tolkien's uh, uh, writing process as we read through the history of the Lord of the Rings, the Return of the Shadow, the Treason of Isengard, and the War of the Ring, and the beginning of Sauron Defeated, which we're still uh, in the middle of right now. Um, and, of course, like this idea, that his description of Nigel the Painter uh, and the way in which he he's not inventing the tree, right? That he is discovering the tree. Um, and the whole tone of voice of that initial description of his beginning to paint the tree, right? When he keeps saying things like, um, the tree grew, sending out innumerable branches and thrusting out the most fantastic roots. It's like Niggle's not even involved in that process. It's something that the tree itself is doing. Birds come in and have to be attended to, right? All that kind of, you know, he begins to catch glimpses of the countryside uh, uh, between the branches, right? It's like he's not doing it. He's not inventing uh, he is discovering. He is just the vehicle of this thing that's happening, right? But then notice when he meets the tree <clears throat> at the end, he's aware consciously of both things. On the one hand, he's even more aware of how independent the tree is, right? How independent it is, it is of him. Um, think of the birds, right? The reference to the birds. The birds in the initial description came in and had to be attended to. Uh, he tells us, right? Um, but when he sees the tree, he finds the birds building nests in it, right? And he's astonished by the birds, how they how they sang and they're mating, hatching, growing wings and flying away into the forest, right? They're living lives totally independent of him, right? Um, so there are, se there are several ways in which he is impressed even more by the fact that this is a living thing. It is, it is, it is on its, I, know it's, it, I am not its maker, right? But at the same time, he also can see simultaneously that he was, in fact, directly involved. Um, you know, and that that's um, uh, that it is sort of owing to him. The tree is in his style, right? He it, he 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 knows exactly everything about the tree. He can see the characteristics, the different leaves on it, uh, which are the exact characteristic niggle style of leaf, right? Um, that's, um, so those two things are, and again, and just, as I say, I've been, I, I, I keep in my mind, I have kept in my mind coming back to this passage as, as we've been looking at how Tolkien thinks and how Tolkien writes. Um, and, uh, and there's, there's more that we can see, you know, it's not that, I mean, this of course, Leaf by Niggle, uh, is what I mean by this, uh, is, certainly one of the most autobiographical things that Tolkien ever wrote. He's not, it's not just about himself, but it is certainly very heavily informed by his own experiences as well as his own uh, uncertainties and anxieties and desires for his own, uh, uh, for his own work, um, uh, for the Lord of the Rings in particular. So, uh, but I think even more than just the Lord of the Rings, um, I think it's really the whole thing. A lot of times people will say like, oh yeah, like the tree is basically the Lord of the Rings or, you know, it's his anxiety about the Lord of the Rings and is the Lord of the Rings ever going to be published? Um, which, um, uh, which is, um, uh, you know, you know, that, that um, um, is what is kind of informing Leaf by Niggle. But on the other hand, 
I, I think there's much more to it than that, right? I mean, the whole idea of the tree and the kind of unified nature of the tree, right? And how everything is all, I think it's, it's much more generally his entire, you know, his entirely, his entire creative world that he's talking about. I mean, I certainly think that, you know, the Silmarillion and the Lord of the Rings stuff and everything is, is all really tied in here together uh, when he's thinking about this. Uh, anyway, for me personally, you can probably guess and see why I've been thinking about this also myself uh, and have been finding much more autobiographical relevance to myself uh, from Leaf by Niggle than I ever have before. I've always appreciated, I've always loved it, and I've always appreciated it, um, mostly, especially because of the way that it gives us some some insights, not only into Tolkien's artistic processes which it really does um but into his own into his own heart into his own desires into his own values uh into his own concerns and hopes very personal concerns and hopes um uh and self-assessments and things um so i've always found leaf by niggle very touching uh in that way but I have to admit that I never really connected it much with myself. Uh, that is, I never really, um, I never really uh, applied it to my own life directly. Again, when I was reading it, I was thinking about Tolkien. And when I was learning from it, I was learning about Tolkien. Um, because I've never been an artist like Tolkien is, right? I've never had a story like Tolkien had. Um, I just that that was never me right um but i have kept coming back to this uh especially over this past year as you know this past year for me has been one of uh again the theme last year was on the doorstep right and i think at the time you know it was last september uh when uh you know when i decided that that was going to be the theme of our of our campaign last year and i really had no idea exactly how applicable that was right and it's you know we meant it in a couple different senses we meant you know that it was uh, uh on the one hand you know signum university brings people to the doorstep to invite them in right to the uh to our to our home and to our community um serving as a door to enable people to go out and experience things that they that they you know aren't able to experience elsewhere but also for me, it was about our, 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 our journey at Signum University and that sense, as I said, that I had that we were on the threshold, right? That we were getting ready to cross the threshold and to do some exciting things. Um, and this year, one way to think about it is that I, I began the year thinking that I had best come up with some plans. I had best make some, some, it was time for me to make some plans, right? I needed to figure out uh, the directions in which Signum needed to go, right? Where our, you know, next uh, uh, journey would take us. Um, and that didn't work out very well. That is, I don't feel like it worked out very well. Um, but then the tree started to grow, right? And again, I think back to the history of the Lord of the Rings. You look at these moments 
um, you know, that the, there are two moments that really jump out from my experience of discussing through in Mythgard Academy with you guys on the history of the Lord of the Rings. The first one, of course, is a very famous one, but it's, it's certainly worth revisiting. Um, and that's when the Black Rider comes in, right? Here's Tolkien. In chapter two of the Hobbit sequel, he's already written chapter one like five times. And he's in chapter two of the Hobbit sequel, trying to satisfy his publisher. Instead of doing what he really wants to do, uh, which is continue trying to prepare the Silmarillion for publication, uh, uh, because in the wake of the success and fame of the Hobbit, he that's what he, you know, he really wants to do. So instead of doing that, he's sitting down and trying to, and he's so he's trying to come up with a story, right? He's trying to make a plan uh, for what this sequel should be, and he doesn't know. He has no clear idea. He has no clear vision of what this story is going to be. All he's got is a you know, uh, a funny, like the long expected party, right? He's got a birthday party, which is going to, at which some funny things are going to happen. And then there's going to be a prank at the end. And then, okay. And then in chapter two, there's going to be a journey they're setting out, but he has no idea where they're going or even really why they're going. And then of course, and so as long as he is just like trying to make up a story, He's spinning his wheels. He keeps rewriting. He's he's he again. He he has no plan, right? And then one day, it thrusts out a branch of its own, right? He comes to that very very memorable scene, right? The scene which is the genesis of the entire Lord of the Rings project, um, which is the one when when the hobbits, the three hobbits whose names are not the same as the three hobbits in the published text. Uh, are walking along the road and they hear a horse hooves behind them and they hide off to the side of the path to give a surprise to the person who's coming up to Gandalf who they think is coming up behind them right and then this rider appears and of course at first it is Gandalf and this is going to be apparently another in the series of you know sort of fun hobbit jokes and things like the party right and the prank uh, pulled off at the party and Instead, of course, as he's revising, he, he changed white horse and he crosses white out and he says black horse. Uh, and then he describes this black figure who is on the horse and the sniffing, which was at first Gandalf, because that was going to be funny that he identified the hobbits by smell. Right. I think that was a body odor joke. But anyway, he was going to identify the hobbits by smell and that was going to be comical. And instead of being comical, it becomes really ominous, right? And now all of a sudden, there's this antagonist in the road, this really creepy faceless guy on a black horse, and Tolkien has no idea who that is or what have you. you know, he begins, instead of inventing, he suddenly discovers something. And that discovery leads to more discoveries. And all of a sudden, you have, and from that comes directly, Bilbo's invisibility ring is actually the ring of power and the entire story is born, right? The other example is Treebeard, right? He wanted to have a giant that is, you know, a normal giant, like a Jack and the Beanstalk giant, a giant antagonist because giants are cool. Uh, and so he was going to have a giant. He was going to call the giant Treebeard because like, that's cool. Um, that's a good name for a giant. Um, because, you know, he has a beard and he's as tall as a tree. And so it's all good. Um, and so he has various ideas for how this monstrous giant tree beard, uh, again, who is not an end. He was just a giant. Um, 
uh, you know, the kind of the role that Treebeard was going to play and everything, and even wrote a couple of those at various points in the story. Um, and of course, as you know, if you have listened to the classes, the, the, the phrase for giant that um, Tolkien used, um, uh, the, 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 it was tree men, right? That's what Ted Sandyman uh, and Sam are talking about. Uh, at the beginning of chapter two in the green dragon um what about these giants these tree men uh, as they're called by which they mean men as big as trees as tall as trees giants um and uh but then he has the moment when mary and pippin arrive at fangor and he has the the moment when he discovers wait a second treebeard treebeard is not the name of a jack and the beanstalk giant treebeard is a tree man um really a tree man and he discovers the concept of ends right um and as soon as he does you know he had all this sketchy stuff these you know he he had been when he was trying to invent and figure out a way to get giants into the story um because that was a cool idea and he wanted to use that right it didn't go anywhere um but when he began discovering instead of inventing all of a sudden in chapter four of book three of the Treebeard chapter of the two towers wrote itself almost exactly in one draft i mean you know christopher tolkien shows us that you know a, a bunch of the original drafts of that and he was like yeah i mean almost without revision uh that chapter just emerged uh in one like in in what looks like almost one sitting um once he started discovering things um Anyway, as I say, this is something that has uh, has been my own experience too here over the last three to six months, especially when I was you know laboring and laboring to try to figure out like okay, so what are the next steps? What are the next steps that Signum needs to take? What are the directions that we need to be going now that we're 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 you know in the middle of and getting ready to move beyond the the credentialing pro, you know point where 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 are the next stages you know what are the directions that signum needs to grow um and you know over the last three to six months i've suddenly sort of discovered things and uh like tolkien discovering the black riders like tolkien discovering Treebeard and and the ants and I have just been watching this tree unfolding um, and taking on, uh, well, not taking on this life. It always had life, right? It's just I finally discovered it. Um, and I, 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 so I have continued to go back to, this, to these passages. Uh, and uh, uh, it, the, as, I, as I read it through, you know, I mean, it, now this passage that I never saw myself in, but only really uh, appreciated because I could see Tolkien um, through them uh through these passages uh, now all of a sudden um really uh have this like almost uh allegorical applicability to you know to my life and and situation and to signum is the tree uh and it's um uh it's been really really fun <clears throat> uh to see that leaf by niggle was already my favorite uh of tolkien's short stories uh one of my favorite tolkien things full stop um and uh, it has been really special to have it kind of overlaid with this, uh, you know, to, to kind of begin to, to, to sort of to see and discover uh, my own self. And even I, I mean, it sort of makes me laugh at myself even. Um, those of you who um, listen to Exploring the Lord of the Rings, you know, might recognize the relevance to me and, you know, somebody who is better at painting leaves than 
than uh, uh, than than trees, right? And who has a fantasy about painting a whole tree with like each leaf individually realized and everything. And I'm like, yeah, okay, maybe I had more in common with Tolkien than I thought I did. Um, anyway, uh, I'd love to hear from you guys thoughts uh, about Leaf by Niggle and about um, uh, uh, about um, yes, yeah, so thoughts about Leaf by Niggle, thoughts about um, uh, uh, you know your own sort of experiences and thoughts and reactions to 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 Tolkien times when you have uh, kind of uh, kind of felt like this too. Um, I, I'd be very interested to hear your own responses to Leaf by Niggle uh, as well. Um, yeah, of course, for me, you know, uh, for me, Signum is certainly my tree. Uh, you know, my 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 tree painting, and I've been running up and down the ladder quite a bit lately. Uh, trying to put touches here and there, uh, and I've certainly been tacking on, you know, all of my lesser works sort of around the edge of it uh, in various ways. Um, of course, if you think about the relationship between the Tolkien Professor podcast and Signum University, it's really kind of like that, right? You know, uh, Tolkien Professor, you know, my podcast, my teaching uh, significantly predates uh, Signum. But, um, you know, is, is, is something that I have uh, attached around the edge of that canvas uh, as, the, uh, as the years have gone by. Well, I wanted to, um, so I wanted to do <clears throat> two things. Now, first, I always love doing drawings and giving stuff away uh, during campaign broadcasts. So I want to do that. Uh, I want to do that here, too. Um, so first, um, before we go on, I want to do a giveaway to folks that are here, and I will include both the uh, GoToWebinar participants and also the uh, the, the folks who are uh, here on the Twitch page as well. Um, and I'm going to do a drawing for a an anytime audit uh, tuition for our Beyond Middle Earth class. So sort of, I'm just choosing uh, choosing ba themed based on the uh, uh, the reading that I just did. So I'm going to give away an anytime audit to Beyond Middle Earth. And by the way, if you already have, if you win and you have Beyond Middle Earth, then you can get another one of your choosing instead. Um, so uh, let me do my, uh, let me do my drawing here. Let's see. Okay. All right. Got to get my dice, of course. Can't do a, can't do a drawing without dice. That wouldn't be proper. So let me do my quick drawing. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to do the drawing. And the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to, uh, let's see, there we go. All right. Okay. And, uh, ah, okay. The winner is, let's see. It's, uh, what the, one of the people on the Twitch chat. So it is um, Alfred Judokus eight one seven. Not sure how to pronounce that. Um, if you uh, if you s send an email, so you should you should send an email uh, to donate at signumu.org. The email address donate at signumu.org. Send us an email, and we will get you hooked up with your Beyond Middle Earth Anytime Audit session. There we go. Um, yeah, very good. 
Yeah, Elise, I, I too, I, I, so I've been trying to learn about that, about, you know, to, to let your ideas and, 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 and you know, wh- whether you're writing a book, whether you're planning something, just kind of let things flow organically rather than forcing it when you think it needs to be done. Uh, yeah, no, there's there's a lot of times that I have found that super useful and it always makes me think of Leaf by Nibble too. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and Curtis, I agree with you that the idea of... Um, uh, you know, the, the, the idea in Leaf by Niggle is that discovery is also creation. Yes, exactly. It's not merely that there's a muse feeding some platonic ideal to the artist for which he then becomes a conduit. The discovery itself brings the thing into being. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's why I wanted to read both halves of that, right? Both the t- when he's there at his canvas and, and sort of discovering this thing. Um, so he's there at the canvas, of course, very aware of the fact that this is his painting, right? Um, but also while he's doing it, he's aware that he's discovering it, right? And he's describing it like it's a discovery, not an invention. And then when he gets to it and he's standing in front of it and he's really, really aware that it's something outside him because he's it's it's outside him, right? It's, he's standing there under its shadow and yet... Um, he's very, very aware that it is, in fact, uh, he, it was, in fact, brought into being by him, right? Um, yes, yes. And so kind of balancing both of those, you know, for me, it's, it is it is one of the other ways in which I've been kind of applying Leaf by Niggle in my own life, really, uh, is both the that sense of, arti- of, of artistic discovery, but also um, that sort of responsibility, you know, and that, and that you know, knowing that, um uh you know that when you are you know when you are uh it's one of the things that has really kind of kept me going uh at signum over the years and we're now you know when we start when we do the fall campaign it's also sort of the unofficial uh birthday party of uh of signum as well um you know signum is is now eight years old and and over the last eight years you know it's certainly been one of those things that has been keeping me going is knowing that um although you know and sometimes i feel like this is something that has grown completely beyond my you know intentions and 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 certainly beyond my expectations but that it is also something that is for me you know is something that is uh you know the you know i uh, curtis as you say i've 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 not only been called just to be like the conduit of it right i mean it is it is something that i am uh, that I am shaping, that I am bringing into being, and the combination of embracing the responsibility of that while also remembering that, like, it's not just something I can sit down and do and make up uh, on my own is, um, uh, you know, are for me really kind of the two sides, uh, the two sides of that. Um, oh, cool! Caleb uh, says that he's doing a middle moot session dealing with Tolkien's writing technique and. Uh, how it works counter to a lot of normal writing theory. Cool. Yeah, I really look forward to that session, Caleb, um, uh, in uh, a little under a month. Very cool. Um, oh, cool. And Jamie is talking about her New England moot presentation. Uh, ooh, she's making... Oh, right. That's right, Jamie. I remember you talking about this. Jamie is uh, is making a Tolkien quilt, which she is going to display uh, at New England moot. Um yeah, she says sometimes it's very frustrating, but the final product becomes more amazing as 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 she allows, you know, the, the product itself to kind of develop on its own. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, there's uh, there's really there's really something amazing about that. Um, 
Yeah, cool. All right. Um, well, let me uh, move. So we, we're going to do two other readings as well. I want to let two other people uh, uh, share. And uh, I'm going to bring in our first alumni guest, the inestimable Sparrow Alden. Sparrow, I, th I think I just unmuted you. Can you, can you, uh, can you hear me here? Yes, I can hear you just fine. I'm going to put in my earbuds so nothing strange happens. Good. Yeah, I, I'm going to put my, I just realized I didn't have my earphones in either. Let me do that. There we go. Well, welcome from the far corner, not that far, not in the corner of New Hampshire. That's right. On a beautiful last day of summer. And congratulations on another Hobbit reading day. Yeah. And exciting fundraiser and all that good stuff. Very good, very good. Yeah, no, and thank you for joining us, Sparrow. Always, uh, always, always fun to be joined by my fellow New Hampshire resident, and uh, I, I feel I feel lucky to be sharing the state with you, Sparrow. It is always nice to be able to see you. Uh, and, and you're going to be able to come to New England mood too, right? I sure will. I can't Absolutely. wait to see. I can't wait to see what Jamie's going to show us. That's right. And. Yeah. And do you want me to webcam? Is that a thing I should do? Sure. Yeah. What's 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 webcam? Hang on a second. Let me let me change All a right. thing here. I'm gonna. Oh. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna upgrade you. You're... Oh, there you are. Okay. Now you should be webcamable. Fantastic. I will click the little webcam button. There we go. There we go. And I'm gonna. There we are. Excellent. Um, so, uh, and you are going to be reading from A Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula Le Guin, which happens yes, to be the next book that we're going to be talking about in the Mythgard against the, the winner of the recent election in the Mythgard Academy. Right. I'm very excited. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Very good. Ready to read or would folks like to read along with me and have my screen because I'm using my Kindle book? Why don't you? Uh, why don't you, you? Why don't you just read? Why don't you just read? That I will. Be easiest. Fantastic! That illustration is amazing. Do you Isn't know? That cool. Uh, what year publication was that? I don't know. Actually, I'm All not right. sure. It 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 looks pretty. Looks pretty seventies to me. <laughs> Come to okay. me too. We'll see. All right, doggies. It's okay. I'm talking to someone who's inside ah, the computer. Okay, Sharon says it, it's that's the first edition cover. Wow. Yeah. Love it. Love it. All right. I would like very much to um, read from chapter three when Sparrowhawk first gets to the College of Magic. Okay. And because it's the start of the school year, and I've got that all that beautiful energy happening in, in every part of my life and in the community. So here I am in Chapter 3, The School for Wizards. In the great building near one corner, there was a mean little door of wood. Ged went to this and knocked loud. To the old man who opened the door, he said, I bear a letter from the mage Ogion of Gaunt to the warder of the school on this island. I want to find the warder, but I will not hear more riddles and scoffing. This is the school, said the old man mildly. I am the doorkeeper. Enter if you can. Ged stepped forward. It seemed to him that he had passed through the doorway, yet he stood outside on the pavement where he had stood before. Once more he stepped forward, and once more he remained standing outside the door. 
The doorkeeper inside watched him with mild eyes. Ged was not so much baffled as angry, for this seemed like a further mockery to him. With voice and hand, he made the opening spell, which his aunt had taught him long ago. It was the prize among all her stock of spells, and he wove it well now. But it was only a witch's charm, and the power that held this doorway was not moved at all. When that failed, Ged stood a long while there on the pavement. At last, he looked at the old man who waited inside. I cannot enter, he said unwillingly, unless you help me. The doorkeeper answered, Say your name. Then again, Ged stood still a while, for a man never speaks his own name aloud until more than his life's safety is at stake. I am Ged, he said aloud. Stepping forward, then he entered the open doorway, yet it seemed to him that Though the light was behind him, a shadow followed in at his heels. He saw also as he turned that the doorway through which he had come was not plain wood as he had thought, but ivory without joint or seam. It was cut, as he knew later, from a tooth of the great dragon. The door that the old man closed behind him was a polished horn through which the daylight shone dimly, and on its inner face was carved the thousand-leaved tree. Welcome to this house, lad, the doorkeeper said, and without saying more, led him through halls and corridors to an open court far inside the walls of the building. The court was partly paved with stone, but was roofless, and on a grass plot a fountain played under young trees in the sunlight. There, Ged waited alone some while. He stood still, and his heart beat hard, for it seemed to him that he felt presences and powers at work unseen about him here. And he knew that this place was built not only of stone, but of magic, stronger than stone. He stood in the innermost room of the House of the Wise, and it was open to the sky. Then suddenly he was aware of a man clothed in white who watched him through the falling water of the mountain. As their eyes met, a bird sang aloud in the branches of the tree. In that moment, Ged understood the singing of the bird and the language of the water falling in the basin of the fountain and the shape of the clouds and the beginning and end of the wind that stirred the leaves. It seemed to him that he himself was a word spoken by the sunlight. And then that moment passed. He and the world were as before, or almost as before. He went forward to kneel before the archmage, holding out to him the letter written by Ogion. The Archmage Demerley, warder of Roke, was an old man, older, it was said, than any man then living. His voice quavered like the bird's voice when he spoke, welcoming Ged kindly. His hair and beard and robe were white, and he seemed as if all darkness and heaviness had been leached out of him by the slow usage of the years, leaving him white and worn as driftwood that has been a century drift. My eyes are old. I cannot read what your master writes, he said in his quavering voice. Read me the letter, lad. So Ged made out and read aloud the writing, which was in Hardic runes, and said no more than this. Lord Nemerly, I send you one who will be greatest of the wizards of Gaunt, if the wind blow true. This was not signed with Ogion's true name, which Ged had never learned, but with Ogion's rune, the closed mouth. 
He who holds the earthquake on a leash has sent you, for which be doubly welcome. Young Ogion was dear to me when he came here from Daunt. Now tell me of the seas and portents of your voyage, lad. A fair passage, Lord, but for the storm yesterday. What ship brought you here? Shadow, trading from the Andrades. Whose will sent you here? My own. Isn't that marvelous? It really is. I, I, right? There's, and, and I could go on and read the entire book out loud because it's <laughs> so seamless. Yeah. We're about to meet wonderful people, but whose will sent you here? My own. And uh, we run past probably eight things in the last four pages that turn out to be important motifs throughout the whole story. Mm -hmm. Love it. And right now in the Modern Fantasy One course, we are wrapping up our study of A Wizard of Earthsea. And so I am ready to, to ask you questions and tell you my thoughts. And because the start of a new school year is an amazing thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. There's so much. Uh, I can't wait to, to dig into Wizard of Earthsea again. Uh, it's been a while since I have. And um, it's, uh, I, yeah, as always, whenever I'm reading Le Guin, it is, it is just like the the fireworks constantly going up with like all of the things that are happening at the same time. Right. And I'm just like listening to you read and I'm finding myself being like words and names and whoa. <laughs> could, you, could you just see it? And her writing itself, I'm, is so, it's so easy to read that it sounds simple to write Yeah, because it just, it just flows. And these are, straightforward sentences and they bring in uh, um, shadow and delusion and what it's like to be 14 and away from home and yeah. and then I think to myself and maybe this is the teacher perspective you know and another several dozen 14 year old boys were arriving that whole week right. and the poor doorkeeper has to is making each one of them have their own unique experience right. of arriving how right. amazing right right yeah yeah that is awesome um yeah another really uh, you know yeah so much to so much to to do in that passage and with that passage both think as you say thinking about moments whether they're the regular moments like the beginning of every school year right uh or you know the 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 the, the that kind of a beginning of a uh, it, the the whole seasonal shift, right? With like the when everything is new, you know, everything is the same, and yet everything is new, right? And you know, there's so many times we can come back to that, or thinking back, uh, you know, to being 14, you know, thinking back to those like life moments of passing through gates, you know, and important gates like that. But then, you know, just the way that that resonates through the uh, through the 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 ideas that are that are all bubbling through that passage about you know, words, things, and names, and ourselves, and our relations, you know, and the, the connection between us and other people and other things and all these things, right? And the, the fact it is so 
touching to me personally that the only way to get into school, the only way to take the next step on your dream, after you've been frustrated by all the, the crazy people in the town who don't give real directions, and you're at this little door that looks like it's gonna, they or might feed you a greasy burger um, in the back of an alley because, of course, there's illusion everywhere. The only way to move into school is to trust someone you've never met with the name of your soul. Right. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And you've, you've just left home for the first time and you know you're not supposed to trust strangers. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to fan myself here. It's, it's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's brilliant. And of course there's, there's a mirror scene near the, nearer the end of the book that right. I will no spoilers because some of your your folks are about to read this maybe even for the first oh, time maybe and even, yeah folks if you are about to read this for the first time you are in for such a treat yeah. and just let it carry you let it carry <laughs> you. The, the the names of the islands the names of the ship she and I I know uh, that many people do that Ursula K. Le Guin's father, the famous anthropologist, and so this woman developed cultures and names and traditions like Tolkien could invent languages. Right. I, right. I don't know if she did this kind of invention as a kid, but it would not surprise me at all because it sounds like a really fun thing to do. Right. Yeah. Now, my class had a question that was, well, but what does Corey really think? <laughs> and my, my, that I'll tell you my answer and you tell me how close I was. Okay. 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 The, que the question was, but. What does Corey really think about the relationship between Ged and the Shadow? Hmm. Mm. Okay, so here's my answer. Is that as a good teacher, Corey knows that his opinion doesn't matter to the class. <laughs> for the class moving forward. Did, did I, did I... Well, yeah, I mean, certainly... I, yeah, I, I uh, would hate to answer that question, especially you know, sort of at this point. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, we'll see, I, I, I will have some, you know, I'm sure as I'm going through it in the, in the, in Mythgard Academy, and it's been several years since I taught through it before in modern fantasy one. And, uh, I, I'm excited to come back to it. And it was 2012. You were baby face. I was. Wow. We were just getting things going. I probably had noticeably bit. more hair then. Uh, you you yeah. did, actually, <laughs> exactly. but, but not on the chin. Not, not, not on the chin, yeah. Exactly. It was my second course ever yeah. at, at that point, Mythgard Institute, and now Sydney University. So it was, it was wonderful. It was, and it was summer reading. Yeah. It was perfectly timed. Absolutely. So, 
So good luck and have a wonderful adventure hey. in your Mythgard Academy version of it. Yeah, very good. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited for that. We're probably going to be starting that in like november beginning of november is when we're going to be we're going to we're finishing up sound defeated now we still we're just finishing the notion club papers which has been mind-blowing um good and uh yeah and uh and then we're going to do the drowning of andunia and then we're we're going to move on to uh wizard of earth sea so yeah yeah november probably we're gonna and uh, probably november and december we'll be we'll be studying it so um oh yeah yeah it's gonna be uh uh it's gonna be it's gonna be great great and there are several people who are testifying to the fact that they they will in fact be reading it for the first time uh as we're discussing it so you win win. exactly you win you're gonna be head over heels and then you're gonna read all the sequels and then you'll still be head over heels it's wonderful yeah yeah Oh, it's going to be it's going to be super exciting. So thank you, Sparrow, for joining us. So uh, I'm going to do another giveaway because uh, we're going to give away an anytime audit uh, of Modern Fantasy One, so that uh, uh, people can uh, just in uh, in 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 honor of that. Oh, and by the way, um, so Druid's Fire was telling me that the person who won the first uh, 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 drawing is probably not a person. So I'm going to I'm going to move to the sec to the next person on the list instead. Excellent. So Excellent. Angel of Light on Twitch. Angel of Light. Uh, yeah, yes. we don't we, we don't want to give it to a bot. We want to give it to a person. So uh, Angel of Light, you are the winner of the uh, 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 Beyond Middle Earth. So again, email info or sorry, donate at signumu.org, uh, and we will uh, connect you with that. And let me let me roll. For the winner of the uh, Modern Fantasy One drawing, okay, and that is, um, where did my, I've got so many windows open, I've lost them. Hang on. Oh, there it is. Found my attendees window. Okay. Okay. Oh, hang on. Whoa. Sorry. Okay. It is, let's see, Richard Albert. Richard Albert is the is the winner of our Modern Fantasy One drawing. Congratulations, Richard. Um, uh, <laughs> now, Noam and Brandon are both giving me grief for uh, uh, being prejudiced against bots and depriving them of the benefits of literary analysis. Um, except I have to differ that I'm not sure bots are people too, but maybe that's a, 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 a maybe we can have that discussion at a later time. You know, in the context, we might of, have to watch Star Trek: Next Generation: The Measure of a Man. We might, and we might have and to have like that. read some Asimov, perhaps, uh, and then yes. have the discussion. Yes. This this discussion, yeah, I think that. That's, and um, I'm I'm happy to say that, of course, bots are welcome at the Mythgard Academy. Absolutely. Yes. Doors are open. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So, um, may uh, I tell you my, <laughs> my recent adventure? Speaking of adventures. Yeah. For my 55th birthday in August, I published my first Kindle book. That's right. That's right. I've been very excited. I was hoping that maybe you would be willing to read one of your poems for us. I would love to do that. Hold on, while I open things up. 
how fun. The the book is set up, it's poetry, and it's set up as a book of days. And I know that if I make a promise to myself, like, I'm going to write every single day forever, that that's not going to work. So I've set myself goals of doing chunks of the year. Right. And the, the first book is a poem a day, sort of, I walk the dogs and the words start flowing. Mm-hmm. And it's a meditation from the autumn equinox until Savan, which is the evening of November right. in the Celtic calendar. It's the, the end of the old year and an excellent time for, um, for contemplative contemplating. Yeah. So, uh, w- May I read to you the poem from October 20th? Yes, yes. All right, here we go, here we go. I've been given the gift of perfect days. I wrestle with thoughts like deserve and chance, if chance you call it, balance. Again, it comes to balance. Spend the days by giving them back, rolling up sleeves, doing good as I know it, savor the days with deep breaths and open, grateful heart. Easier to give than to receive. Maybe better? Silly old culture. Without receiving, I have less and less to give until I am empty. But when I drink in this gorgeous gift of days, wait, just today, I will cherish today, today. Focus on today, love today, all it deserves. When I drink in this gorgeous gift of today, then I'm full. And just over the brim, barely held in check by surface tension, receive, give, accept, act, breathe in, breathe out. The days are air, water moving. I stand in one place, wave moment at a time. Receive, give, savor, spend, inspire. Inspire. Left foot, right foot. This is a good path. I joyfully receive the gift of a perfect day. Wonderful. Thank you, Sparrow. I, I could hear your companion there uh, wanting to help claim that, like, you helped discover that poem, right? I helped. I helped to discover the poem. I discovered the poem. Thank yeah. you so much, little dog. You're very, very helpful. That was beautiful. And, I, I, as you were reading, especially at the end, I found I found myself. I didn't realize it uh, for about five seconds uh, that I was that I, I found myself breathing in time with your reading there at the end. <laughs> that was that was wonderful. Excellent. I love hearing that. Yeah. So because the poems begin on September twenty third, for today the book is available on Kindle for ninety nine cents in case there are folks who would like to read along and walk along and and do their own meditations during this next Awesome, awesome. So and the title again? The title is Morning Meander, Samhain, S-A-M-H-A-I-N. And the easiest way to find it on Kindle is just search for me as an author, Sparrow F. Alden. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for your reading. Thank you for sharing your poem with us. And uh, thanks, as always, for joining me, Sparrow. 
It is always such a pleasure to see you. Have a great, great fundraiser. Is it time to hear about more exciting things coming up? Thank you. Yes, it is. So we're going to do All our right. other reading. So thank you, Sparum, because Fantastic. we are joined by a second uh, illustrious alum of Signum University, uh, and that is Mr. Richard Rowland. I'm going to promote you, Richard. There we go. And so then you can be webcamable too there. And there we are. Hey, Richard. Oh, hang on a second. I'm, I'm not hearing you. Yeah. Looks like you're on in the maybe. Yeah, you're, you hear. There no. you go. There we go. There you go. Excellent. Good. How are you, Richard? Well, uh, I'm super well. Thank you so much for inviting me out to, to do this. And uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm I when, when you texted me about, it, I was like, wait, 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 wait. It's at the end of September already. Yeah, I know, oh, no. right? Yeah. Oh, tell me about it. Oh, no. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, so, um, yeah, exactly. Well, so that, uh, Richard is going to, uh, 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 read us something quite different, uh, and from, from one of the sort of other branches of Signum University, and that is, uh, the philological side. Um, uh, he is going to be reading a passage from the Dream of the Rude, uh, in Anglo-Saxon and in modern English translation for the benefit of the people who have not taken an introduction to Anglo-Saxon yet. Um, but um, uh, this is a wonderful poem, and uh, uh, and uh, is uh, it, I always enjoy uh, hearing Richard uh, read for us. Um, so I'm going to um, um, I'm going to try to uh, get the uh, uh, get the I I I I have to I'm going to try to put the uh, the text together here, um, so that I can put it up on screen for folks um and uh why don't you could you read it maybe in uh modern english first yeah do you want me to say a little bit about the poem yeah why don't you say a little bit about the poem and then you can read the you modern english passage yeah so um the dream of the root is a really neat poem um it's kind of I mean, if Beowulf wasn't Beowulf, it would be my favorite Old English poem with zero reservations. Um, as it is, um, it's it's a very remarkable poem that I've really come to appreciate it over the years. Uh, something that's really cool about Signum's uh, Anglo-Saxon 101 uh, intro to Anglo-Saxon class is that it, they actually take you through. Uh, I don't know if I have it handy, but they they take you through a wonderful book called Eight Old English Poems. Um, and, uh, which for, this is exciting for me because actually most old English classes don't do that. I, I don't know, maybe if some of you are aware, but most of the time when you sign up to take an old English class somewhere, they start you on like, you know, chronicles and prose and sort of the, let's be honest, sort of the boring stuff. Now, some of us <laughs> right. enjoy the boring stuff, right? you know, but definitely it's not, you know, you why do you take Anglo-Saxon? I mean, at the end of the day, it's to rebuild, right? You know, you the poetry is where the real, I mean, it's where the real meat is. So, uh, but Signum starts you right off with that, and I, I, I thought that was a very ambitious choice at the time. I took the class and I really enjoyed it, and this is one of the poems that really stood out to me. And I've actually recently been studying it at some length, and so um, when Corey reached out and asked if I wanted to read a bit of Anglo-Saxon, I said, "Well, hey, why don't we do the Dream of the Root?" So the dream of the root is um, 
at least as old as the 8th century, but probably quite a bit older than that. Um, we know it's at least as old as the 8th century because there's a, a really beautiful stone Anglo-Saxon cross called the Ruthbow Cross um, that has a partial text of the poem on it. So that gives a, a, a date which I suppose is literally set in stone. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really beautiful piece of iconography. It was destroyed during the Reformation, but they were able to piece a good bit of it back together, and um, you can look it up online if you want to see the picture of what it looks like. Um, so there's a decent chance the poem is older than this, and it is one of the main candidates that is sometimes put forward for the title of oldest, oldest work of Old English literature, uh, along with like Cadman's Hymn and a couple of other things. Um, and there are two kinds of theories of about the origins of the poem itself. The poem basically is uh, it's a recounting, at least the first half of it, is a recounting of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, but from the perspective of the cross, as in the you know two pieces of, of wood nailed together uh, on which he, he died. Um, and so uh, it's, it's a really, really interesting thing because it kind of cast the role of the cross in the, in the terms of you know being a thane being a a, a um, uh, basically a retainer or a supporter or a loyal servant of Jesus Christ right so there's these lines at the beginning um, uh, which I'll read to you in a moment but where he talks about you know he could have like fallen down on top of Jesus enemies and just squashed them to death basically Right, but he didn't do that because he had a job to do. And his job was to stand there and to stand still. And then what the second half of the poem does is tries to contextualize that for uh, the poet himself and one would think the poet's audience, who are mainly coming to this this poem as a guide for devotion. Right, it's a way to meditate on the passion and sufferings of Christ uh, in a way that will save your soul, um, but doing it through kind of a, this unique imaginative uh, way. Um, so, uh, one of the things I think it does, which is so interesting, um, is that it, it, um, some people think it might have been composed as sort of a missionary tool, uh, that was intended to help pagan Anglo-Saxons understand where their old values could be situated within a Christian context. Um, and, uh, so you have the old values of standing fast, standing to the end, suffering whatever has to be suffered on behalf of your Lord. Uh, but now instead of doing that in battle, we see a cross doing it on Calvary. So, yeah. Um, so I'm going to be reading lines 24 through 56. It's not that long of a poem. It's about 156 lines. Um, so I'm going to read lines 24 through 56. I'll read it in a translation first, and then I'll read it in the real thing. And uh, the thing to listen for, well, I'll, I'll, I'll say that in a minute. So, okay. So the, the line that came immediately before this, um, I'm, I'm actually going to read those in trans. I'll read the start of the poem in translation as well, just so you'll know what happened. Um, um, it won't take that long. So uh, it begins with, Hark, clat, I wish to tell of the best of dreams, which came to me in the middle of the night, when speech bearers seek their rest. It seemed to me that I saw a wondrous tree suspended on the air, surrounded by light of beams, and the idea is beam, right? A beam, which means like a beam of, of uh, like a, a beam of wood, right? So one of the names of the tree. Of beams, the brightest. All that side was covered with gold. Precious jewels shone forth, fair over the 
surface of the earth, and likewise there were five above the crossbeam. I beheld there all the angels of the Lord, those fair from the foundation of the world. Nor was that indeed any criminal's gallows, but there they kept watch, blessed spirits, men over the earth, and all of this famous creation. Rare and marvelous was the victory tree, and I, guilty with sins, wounded all over with evils. I saw the tree of wonder, worshipfully vested, shining with joy, adorned with gold, precious jewels had covered honorably the ruler's tree. Nevertheless, I could see through that gold the evidence of a previous and wretched combat, where it first started to sweat and bleed from its right side. I was all with sorrow afflicted, afraid, because of the fair vision. I saw that noble sign changed in garments and colors. At times it was with liquid moistened, drenched with flowing sweat and blood, and at other times with treasures adorned. So that's the beginning of the vision. He sees the cross and it's sort of, uh, he has a double vision that sort of, you know, maybe you could say is the double meaning of a cross, like triumphant, right. adorned with gold and jewels, and then a place where, a, 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 you know, an instrument of, of torture and death, right? And so he's stuck there between that and he's in wonder and that's when the tree begins to speak. Nevertheless, I, lying there a long time, beheld sad-minded the Savior's tree, until I heard that it spoke. The best of woods began to speak these words. It was long ago, though I remembered still, that I was hewn down at the holt's end, removed from my stump. Strong enemies took me from there, made me into an awful spectacle, and commanded me to raise up their criminals. They bore me there, men on shoulders, until they set me atop a mountain. Many fiends fastened me there. I saw then the Lord of mankind hastening with great courage that he might mount up upon me. There I did not dare to go beyond the Lord's word, to budge or break. I saw the earth's surface begin to quake. Even though I might have felled all of those enemies, Nevertheless, I stood fast. And uh, it's interesting that all throughout this poem, Christ's actions on the cross are seen as entirely willing, right? Christ is right. literally running eager to mount up. Um, uh, he's The terminology that's used for him here is that of basically like a Germanic warrior spoiling for a fight. Um, and he's portrayed as being totally in command of what takes place on the cross all throughout. And this is actually... Sometimes people are like, oh, this is a new idea that the poem poet is introducing, and it's not really the case. It's, I mean, this is a, a very old Christian idea. It's the, it's the whole theme of John's gospel. Um, John chapter 12, um, Christ says, you know, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me, right? So there's this idea that it's this, you know, lifting up can mean to raise somebody up on a cross, but it can also mean to glorify them, right? They stripped the young warrior, he who was God Almighty, strong and resolute. He mounted on the gallows high, valiant in the sight of many, when he would ransom mankind. I shook when the warrior embraced me, nor dared I to bow in any direction towards the ground. I had to stand fast. The rood was raised. I exalted in the word 
uh, can mean to, I raised up or I exalted, right? So there's that double meaning again. I exalted the mighty king, heaven's lord. I did not dare to bend. They pierced me with dark nails, scars easily seen in me, evil, open wounds. Nor dared I to harm any one of them. They besmirched me, both of us together. I was streaming all over with blood, drenched from that man's sides, since he had his spirit sent forth. Much have I on that mountain tasted of an evil fate. I saw the war bands of God violently humiliated. Dark clouds closed over the ruler's corpse. Over shining splendor, shadow went forth, dark under sky. All creation wept, bewailing the king's fall. Christ was on the cross. So that's up to line 56 of the poem, which is only halfway through it. Um, so I'm going to read 24 through 56 in Old English. And the thing that I want to particularly say to listen for is going to be when I get towards the end of the reading, um, you're going to hear the, uh, the poetry is going to tighten up and the alliteration is going to become much stronger and, and uh, right at the moment of the crucifixion. So uh, listen for that and see if you can figure out what the effect is. Right. And I will just apologize in advance to all living Anglo-Saxons who uh, who who hear my uh, American accent as I read this to you. It's not just an American accent. Unfortunately, I've been doing so much Old Norse stuff that I'm a little worried some of that's going to bleed through here, but we'll give it a go anyway. Yeah. All right, starting at line 24. <laughs> Creo cherry, Highlander's trail, of that ich gehirid that heat leoproda, ungan the word sprekan, wudu salesta. That was yaro you, ich that ita yaman. That ich was a hewan hotas on end. A steered old stefnaminum. Yanaman me there stronger found us, Yokortan him there to Wafersunu, Heton me heora vergas heban. Beron me there beornus on Erslum, Othat here me on Beorg aseton, Yafastanod on me there feondos yenoga. Yesach ik da freon mancunis, Estan elne mitle that he made world on Yestivan. There ich than a dorsta over drittnis word, bugan of a perstan, da ich bifian iseach, or eordan shiatas. Eala ich mihte, feondas yafugan, quadra it fast stole. On you read in the young that was God Almichti, strong on steep mod. Yestahe on Yalgan Hyana, modig on Manigra, yes, the he world mankun lisa. Before the ich me, before the ich the me se beon imclute. Ne dors, ich quadra bugan tueo eordan, belan tu folden shiatum, ach, ich shield fasta standan. 
Råd was ich arared. A hof ich krichni kunu. And a hof is that uh, exalted, right? Heilvana platform. Hilda mene dorsta. Thurk drifan he may meet the orken nagum. On me sindon the dol yesiene. Opene in with lemas. Ne dorst ech hira nanugum shedan. This meridon here. Unk butu at gadra. Eal ich was mi blod besteme. Begotten of das gumen sidan. Sidan. Sidan he havda his gast unsende. Theala ich on the beog ye biden haber. Uradda wirda. Ye seach it weruda gold. Theala thenian. This dustro havdon. The ringen mir wolknum. Wealdenes pra. Shirne shiman. Sheadu for the older. One under wolknum. Weop. Eal yeshat, quiva quidon cuninus who Christ was on road. All right, did that all come through? Excellent, yes. Yes, it did. So I really want to point out those last few lines, really starting with, Theale thenion distro have done the ringen mihorpnum weamendes pra the meter it, you can even sort of visually see where it happens, right? You have these really long hypermetrical lines, uh, which are which are like I don't know in Anglo-Saxon poetry, hypermetrical lines always strike me as like the poet's trying to be too artsy with it, you know. <laughs> right. But then you get to these, but then but then right here at the moment of the crucifixion, right? Right. Um, the lines start tightening up, they start shortening up. There's a lot more economy to the sounds and the and the syllables. And the beats, you know, a lot more attention paid to that. And then the alliteration just gets incredibly strong. You know, the wuring mit work no weal then shirne shima sheldu for theoda. And I remember the first time, you know, this is the moment of the crucifixion, right? And I remember the first time I read this uh, poem in class. It was like I could hear the nails going in. Um, mm. It's just very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, uh, the dream of the root is uh, just an amazing poem, and um, yeah, uh, the next, the next uh, half really, because this is just the first half, right? The next half of the poem is just remarkable, and I think, I think, really interesting in a lot of ways. So. Yeah, yeah, I always loved the dream of the root. It's, uh, uh, it was, it was my favorite of the of the short poems. I love the the reversal. Right, the um, the first. For, for, I mean, just the con- the conceit of the personification of the yeah. cross. Right, that the cross is aware of what it is, and and that the cross. You know, rather than thinking of the cross as just like the uh, instrument of torture, right, as if it yeah. you know had no had no had no uh, role other than just to be the instrument, um, but to give it consciousness and to make it you know sort of detached looking on the scene seeing 
the glory of Christ, not wanting yeah. to hurt Christ itself, being the victim. That that scene with the nails being driven into, like you know, how how the into cross us both is what he said. Yes, yeah. into us both, right? And it's you know, yeah. it basically like there's the cross saying almost in the same words that Jesus used, like "Behold the print of the nails." Yeah. Right? Is basically what the cross itself is saying there. And what, what's what's interesting to me about that is is two things really. The first is that there was definitely this sense in medieval devotion that there was a sanctifying or salvific mm-hmm. quality to meditating on the wounds of Christ, right. Right? right? And so, and you see that with like you know in like really extreme form with somebody like Saint Francis of Assisi or something sure. like that. Sure. But but even like on a very popular form, what this poem would allow you to do is. That's what the cross is doing. So right. you can sort of imaginatively, it's it's imaginatively entering into a cross's experience, which I think right. is just, uh, that just blows my mind. And the second thing is that I always thought this was a totally unique feature of um, the, the Dream of the Root, but recently in other, uh, some of my studies, I've come across some very, very similar language, which exists in uh, the Byzantine liturgical tradition. Um, there is, uh, there are, I mean, there are whole prayers to the cross, like uh, very often at the end of like, at the end of the liturgy, the cross is one of the, you know, they invoke the mother of God and all these different saints and the intercessions of the life given cross. It's like the cross is praying for you kind of a thing. Right. So I think the idea was maybe a little more current in the middle ages than, uh, than I initially thought. And if anybody here is taking Anglo-Saxon and needs to do a paper. Maybe this is a good paper topic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Definitely. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for, uh, thank you for sharing that. And certainly, you know, one of the things that I have delighted to see happening at Signum, uh, you know, most over the last several years has been the, the growth of our Germanic philology program and, and the, yes. you know, all of the, the work in Anglo-Saxon and Old Norse that's been happening and hoping to hoping to continue to expand, as well as of course the study of, of Germanic philology itself, and um, you know it's it is uh, it is something that you know certainly on that list of things that I wouldn't have I didn't set out to do you know and I wouldn't have guessed was yeah. happening when we were founding Signum, but the idea that you know Signum could 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 go on to to help to be you know, a kind of sanctuary for the study of Germanic philology is uh, an awesome, awesome thing and super rewarding. Well, and I don't know what the, I mean, I don't know the numbers, but my suspicion is that probably you don't get as many signups for Germanic philology classes as you do for some other things. I could be totally off base about that. They're pretty competitive, but, actually. Oh, that's, that's good to know. <laughs> yeah. I always feel like it's like this, this great hidden treasure that we have at Signum, and I, I always try to tell people, because a lot of people do get uh, really intimidated by, mm-hmm. you know, because you're having to learn another language, and you're yeah. not just having to learn another language, you're having to learn why another language even does the things that it does, right? So there's right. like sort of two layers of things going on there, but... I, just to say a couple of things about that. One is it's it's really not as hard as you think it is because there are no living speakers of these languages around today. You know, with the exception of like you know Icelandic. Right. Um, um, but you know there there are no you know so it's not you don't have to be embarrassed because you've got an accent or you don't pronounce things exactly right or something like that. So that that particular difficulty is kind of I think removed in this case. But also, I mean, this is. 
this is also English, right? There's a reason that they put all of these things in the English department at Oxford, right? When Tolkien was there, right? right, right. You know, Gothic and Norse and everything. Oh, it's English, you know. So uh, it, it, it's, you know, these things are much closer uh, closer the, to, the, to the English that we speak today than a lot of us realize. And um, one of the things I thought was so cool was getting to get into my roots culturally, but also mainly linguistically, right? Understand why do I say the things Think certain things the way that I say them today. Um, I mean, if you're the sort of person who who likes knowing the answer to that question, then definitely check out the philology track. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. No, I mean, I, 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 you know, I will sometimes say, as far as I know, Signum University is the only school on planet Earth that has a growing Germanic philology program. Right. Yes. <laughs> They're shrinking yeah. everywhere else, but yeah. uh, but ours is growing, and I'm uh, very excited about that. And I certainly hope that more and more people continue to discover that it's such a it's such a wonderful opportunity, uh, and it's uh, it's exciting to be a part of it. Awesome. Well, thank you, Richard, very much for your uh, for your uh, contributions there for your Thanks reading so much and for your explanation. Me. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Always great to hear All from right. you. I hope the fundraiser goes great and uh like you know we'll be we'll be tuning in all throughout this next week so very good thank you all right okay now before we sign off i want to do a one more drawing uh to uh, uh in honor of our uh, anglo-saxon reading we're going to give away an anytime audit uh, uh, slot to uh, for our intro to Anglo-Saxon class so that you too uh, can learn to read the Dream of the Root on your own um, and the winner of our uh, of our drawing there is another uh, Twitch person uh, Telerion uh, 1003 uh, that's the uh, uh, so if you uh, if you're still watching and here with us I hope you will send an email to donate at Signum U, signumu.org um uh yeah i'm not sure if that's a bot or not too. i don't know i don't know it's hard for me to tell i'm just going by the list uh so yes if you are not a bot uh then let me know i know sometimes the ones with numbers are but um yeah anyway cool uh so yes again donate at signumu.org send us an email uh, and uh, just mention that you won our drawing and we will get you all set up with things. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, I was pretty sure that one was uh, that one was that was a, a legit person there. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me today. I've really enjoyed our Hobbit readings and discussions as always. Uh, tune in for, um, of course, I'll be talking about uh, the fundraising campaign as we go along during uh, my regular broadcasts over the next couple weeks during the campaign. Um, and we'll have several special events, of course, one uh, traditional campaign event, which is coming up soon uh, next Saturday, not this coming Saturday, but the Saturday after next, October 5th, uh, will be uh, my annual Lotro Marathon, where I will do a 12 to 14 hour run uh, with my uh, my primary alt Wigand, who is uh, going to get to meet Hanbury Khan and see the riding of the Rohirrim uh, this year during the marathon. So that's going to be pretty exciting. I'm looking forward to that. Um, and um, uh, and uh, of course, there's going to be the State of the University address that I've mentioned before. Uh, and that's going to be happening. People can correct me if I get the date wrong off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be on the 7th of October, Monday, October 7th 
um, is the date for the State of the University Address, and I certainly encourage you uh, to come to that and hear about all the new exciting things uh, that are going to be happening uh, at Signum here over the next year. Um, and uh, for more information and to sign up for other events that we are doing, you can certainly go to signumuniversity.org slash events, and you will see uh, all of those things. And of course, to make a donation to support Signum University, uh, you can just go to signumuniversity.org slash donate. So if you just go to our homepage here, you can see, of course, here's events and things that are coming up. Uh, just click on the donate uh, uh, button over here on the top right of the page, and that will bring you uh, to our donation this uh, uh this all information about the campaign we have our our gifts that we are happy to give to our donors uh at you know different thresholds to thank them for uh their contributions uh we have the the campaign events here on the page um and of course you can just click right through here to uh uh to our donation page and you can make your donation here to the annual fund so Thank you so much for joining me today for all of your support for Signum, and I look forward to our uh, to the rest of our campaign season. Uh, thanks very much, everybody, and I will talk to you guys soon. Bye now.